That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. One month from tomorrow, interest on student loans will start once again adding up with payments due in October. And tonight, ABC Action News reporter Mary O'Connell showing us the new option that is supposed to make those payments more affordable. It's the thought on many borrowers' minds. Student loan payments restarting soon. So definitely something I've been a bit worried about. I'm not completely sure. Um, just going to try to put money aside where I can. Leslie Villarino has federal student loans and thinks it'll add up to a few hundred dollars a month. Going to try to limit it as much as I can because obviously it's a big expense on top of rent and other stuff. There are options to help manage payments, including the SAVE plan, which the Department of Education says provides the lowest monthly payments of any income-driven repayment plan available to nearly all student borrowers. Here's how it works. The SAVE plan calculates your monthly payment amount based on your income and family size. So, for example, starting this summer, if you're making $32,800 a year or less, which is about $15 an hour, your monthly payment will be zero. Stop the tape. So this is the Biden administration answer to having people who took out student loans pay it back. Zero. Zero. Pay. By the way, if you go to college and you make 15 bucks an hour, maybe you made a mistake. Maybe you shouldn't have gone to college. You know, I'm one of these crazy people that believes not everybody needs to go to college. In fact, you could make an argument for my career that I learned 90% of what I needed to learn out in the field, doing what I have been doing, which is talking to you in front of a camera for more than three decades, and learning from my colleagues when I was younger, and I still learn today. But they don't teach that in a textbook. They don't teach a lot of stuff in a textbook. And these days, they teach a lot of crap out of these textbooks, and we know this to be a fact. So maybe... The fact that money is so easy, by the way, it's $1.5 with a T, $1.5 trillion, the aggregate number of student loans, which, as we all know, to refresh your memory, in case you don't remember, Barack Hussein Obama nationalized the student loan process. So that $1.5 trillion, that's our debt. So he basically said, okay, with a magic wand of his which is completely hyper-constitutional and unconstitutional, whoop, voila, we now assume all of that debt. And of course, the number back then, I think, was below a trillion dollars, and it's ballooned to $1.5 trillion. 28 million Americans have student loans. That's not a huge number, by the way, but the number, the number that's owed, $1.5 trillion, is significant. And so if you, if, you, if you make 15 bucks an hour, guess what? You don't have to pay back your student loan. And, and then they calculate family size. And so there must be a calculus in there. They must have said, okay, um, white people have smaller families. 
uh, people of color, as they say, have bigger families. So if your family's bigger, odds are you're a person of color and you're not white, therefore we'll punish the white people. I, I guarantee you this is the calculus. I don't know. I, I, I have no empirical evidence of this, but this is the way they think in Washington, D.C. And so they factor that in as well. How about this crazy notion? How about if you sign on the dotted line for any kind of loan, you personally are on the hook for it, whether it's a car, whether it's a mortgage, whether it's a personal loan, whether it's a student loan. How about you pay back the obligation that you signed for? What a crazy notion in this country. It used to be that way. Washington, D.C. is upside down. I want to stay on the fiscal side of things here because there is developing right now a situation that's largely being ignored in Washington, D.C., completely ignored in the mainstream media, probably because they don't understand it. If they did understand it, they might be running to the bank and making withdrawals right now because we are headed for an economic calamity. And I know I've been a Paul Revere on this, and I know some people think I'm nuts, but we cannot sustain the monetary and fiscal policy that we are living under right now in Washington, D.C. Never mind that the Biden administration wants to mess up your 401k. Oh, you didn't know that, did you? They want to eliminate the catch-up rule for some people. These are, these are things that are happening under the radar completely. So many fires are burning in Washington, D.C. How about the hydro fluorocarbons. You know, that's the stuff that makes your air conditioner work. You people who live in warm areas like Texas or perhaps in uh, Florida in the summertime or wherever, New York, you rely on this stuff called air conditioning. Well, it's the hydrofluorocarbons they want to eliminate right along with the gas stove. Imagine this. In 2023, if my grandfather were alive today, he'd say, this is nuts. He used to have an expression, when you're doing something right, you hit a good shot on the golf course, my grandfather would say, now you're cooking with gas. Which, yeah, I guess dates who, when he was born, which was 1900. Um, probably a lot of people, didn't, I don't know what they cooked with. Stove, you know, they probably wood, wood-fired stoves, and then we got gas. And then, you know, in the 60s, everybody said, oh, it's going to go electric. And then we said, ah, electric's not that great. And then we went back to gas. Most of the United States did. Now they want to eliminate gas stoves. It's unbelievable. And, you know, what do you do about it? You call your congressman and you say, hey, don't let them eliminate my gas stoves. And they'll be ready on the other end of the line when the intern answers and says, well, but that's the EPA, sir. And, um, and this is a congressman. And then you need to tell them, who created the EPA? Who created the EPA? Congress. Do something about it. Yes, the executive branch has lord over authority over the EPA and all the other alphabet agencies out there, unfortunately, which is what we have to address as Americans because it's out of control. Our rights are being taken away. Imagine not having any air conditioning or the kind of air conditioning that we have now they want us to go back to swamp coolers. Swamp coolers didn't really work. Swamp coolers made the air, by the way, um, more humid because they worked with, with water you know, blowing uh, 
wind, if you will, across water, swamp coolers. They want us to take us back in time. They want us in the 15-minute cities. They want us jammed in the urban areas. They want to take away your right to move about the country, which is inherent in the United States Constitution. Not explicitly written in there, but it is inherent. Every other line involves movement of one sort or another, whether it's physical or mental. When you, when you have a firearm, that necessarily is some form of movement when you exercise your Second Amendment rights. When you exercise your speech rights, just the movement of your body and your jaw speaking is movement. They want to curtail all movement. All movement. Movement about the country, movement within the state, movement within your city. This is the Marxist plan. And little by little, it's not that coordinated, but you just have to remember, don't give these people that much credit, okay? They get, they get these Agenda 21 ideas, right? And then, they, and then they're developed out by somebody in the Soros NGO somewhere, and then it's meted out to these different Marxists in different municipalities or different state level. And then they say, okay, that looks good. We'll have, uh, we'll have the, um, the, the lane tightening, the lane diet. You ever heard of that? Well, they're using it all over California. I see it in Florida in certain areas. A lane diet basically takes a two-lane road, four lanes total, so two on one side, two on the other, and turns it into a two-lane road. It's genius. What does it do to traffic flow? Jams it up. Makes you want to what? Not drive. Makes you want to what? Go to public transportation, which sucks. This is what we're living through right now. But the financial side of things may accelerate everything they're doing. Because if we have a financial ruin, a financial collapse in this country, then who's going to ride to the rescue? Hmm? Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Gavin Newsom, Kamala Harris. They're going to ride to the rescue with a bailout package for you, don't you know? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about repeating history and destroying your lifestyle. The government will come to the rescue. Oh, you know, it may cost you a little bit. You may not be able to fill up your car with any gas because there isn't any. You may not be able to go visit your aunt 20 miles away because you can't get there. There's going to be a little pain, but don't worry. They'll rescue you. The government will rescue. The government will bail you out. That's where we're headed. Debt to GDP. Do you know what it is right now? Debt to GDP is a measurement of how much, it's a measurement we've been using since I think the 20s or the 30s to figure out how much debt we have as a nation versus what our output is total. So debt to GDP ratio. Now, there is no historic GDP, but GDP, uh, debt to GDP has always been well below 100%. 100%, if we were at 100% debt to GDP, it would mean that our debt totaled up, our, our debt by government um, totaled up is roughly the same as our annual output as a country. 
But we're at 120% debt to GDP. It hasn't been this high since World War II. Now, there has been some moments in the last couple, three years, I think during COVID debacle, that it actually went higher than 120%. I think it was over 130%. But it means that we've got more debt than our country puts out economically each year. And that's not a good position to be in. If you go back to the 60s or maybe the 80s, maybe 30, 40, 50% GDP, debt to GDP, still too high. But what does that mean? That means that if we sustain any kind of economic calamity of any kind, like a real recession, that more bad things can happen, like inflation. When Joe Biden took office, by the way, our national debt, and I, I'm one of these boring wonks that dials up debtclock.org, I think it is, debtclock.org. You just search debt clock, and it'll come up. And uh, it's now running, spinning at about 32.7, close, $32.7 trillion. When Joe Biden took office, it was at $29 trillion. So you do the math. We're coming up on $4 trillion added by a guy who's occupying the White House in two years. And he says we're reducing, quote, the deficit. It is so insulting. Remember that. Anybody who uses the word deficit instead of debt is trying to trick you. A deficit is a short-term financial, often rigged number that is almost meaningless in the big picture. Debt is the aggregate. So while Joe Biden runs out there and says, I've decreased the deficit, yet the debt is going up, how is that possible? Smoke and mirrors, because they, they project out over 10 years to hold future Congresses accountable that will never happen. Future Congresses are never held accountable for this Spending plan. It never happens that way. It's all smoke and mirrors. They're lying to you. And what they're not telling you right now is what the Fed has done. The Fed, in its mind, had to raise interest rates because of inflation. What causes inflation? Just to review. Is it you who causes inflation? Is it me? Is it anybody, in the, any citizen of the United States? Is it a business? Is it a private entity? Is it a public entity? It is government. There is only one cause of inflation on the planet under our system, and it is government, in this case, the federal government. And again, quickly to review, we had artificially low interest rates, easy money, so, Washington, D.C. sees that, and they can pile on more debt. That's what happened over the last 15 years or so. Don't worry about the debt. Interest rates are low, because interest payments on the debt is manageable to them. Not manageable to, to us, but manageable to them. Because, again, they're dealing in smoke and mirrors. They're not dealing in reality here. So, the Fed begins to raise interest rates because 
number one, rates were artificially low, and number two, we had cheap money, helicopter money. I'm not just talking COVID helicopter money. I'm talking about quantitative easing, where the Federal Reserve is flooding the economy with dollars. Inflation didn't just happen overnight. Inflation happened because of what I'm telling you what the Fed did, artificially low interest rates and flooding the economy. Then the reaction to COVID, the government response to COVID, threw gasoline on that fire that was smoldering. When you shut down your economy, when you shut down the global economy, when you tell people not to work, and then the government comes to the rescue again and floats all these dollars down to people so they can sit at home and buy stuff on Amazon and not work. Life is great. What do you think is going to happen? You can't actually blame inflation on Joe Biden, per se. He certainly has made it worse. But this inflation issue has been building over time, and then the irrational government response to a simple virus made it worse and exploded it to what we have today. And I don't know about you, but food prices are sticking high. No matter how much I boycott <laughs> buying stuff at the grocery store, you know, if we all boycott and we don't buy, buy the stuff, theoretically the prices are going to fluctuate down, right? Well, boycott with me, okay, because I don't see the prices going down. For crying out loud, they've got to go down. Some of these prices are ridiculous. And in, these are hurting Americans, these, these inflationary prices, all caused because of the government. People who are so smart, like Janet Yellen, she's so smart, continues to do quantitative easing, continues to keep those interest rates too low. And what do we have now? Suddenly we have a Federal Reserve that says, uh-oh, well, we better raise rates. And they continue to raise rates. And I know there's a lot of smart people out there who call themselves smart anyway, who say, well, they've got to start lowering rates. I don't think so. There's only one reason that the Fed would start lowering rates, and I'm going to get to that. It's very simple. Back to what I just said a couple minutes ago. The federal government said, oh, well, Interest rates are so low, we can just pile on layer upon layer upon trillion upon trillion dollars worth of debt. And our interest payments on the debt are only around maybe 200 billion, 250 billion a year. Then the interest rates start going up. And guess what? Where we're at right now, ladies and gentlemen, we're at a spot where it looks like the interest on our debt, which is now at $32.7 trillion, the interest on the debt is going to come in somewhere around $1.3 trillion. That is the interest on the debt. That is more than Social Security annual budget. By the way, wasn't Social Security supposed to be self-funding? Why are we spending a dime on Social Security, other than the Social Security Administration and paying salaries? Why are we spending a trillion dollars each year on Social Security? It's supposed to be self-funding. It's a mess. I'm not even going to go into the Social Security and Medicare IOUs, the trust funds that have been raided, part of the unfunded liability. By the way, 
The $32.7 trillion is a portion of the unfunded liability, which is somewhere in the neighborhood estimated, estimated at $100, maybe $200 trillion, the unfunded liability. These are the IOUs. These are all the monies that we owe as a government, as a country all over the place. $100 to $200 trillion. And interest rates are up. So how are we going to pay that $1.3 trillion in interest? Well, we'll have to sell more bonds at a higher interest rate. What if people don't buy the bonds? Then you have to pay a higher interest rate on the bonds. Washington, D.C., and our politicians, this is a bipartisan problem, are completely reckless and irresponsible. This is why our economy was downgraded by Fitch from AAA to AA+. And Joe Biden tries to blame it on Donald Trump. It's laughable. This is a generational problem. Although, I believe when Barack Hussein Obama took office, the national debt was in single digits, wasn't in double digits. I believe it was eight or nine trillion dollars. So you can see uh, in the last 15 years or so, the national debt has roughly tripled. You can't sustain an economy like this. At some point, the laws of economics trump the laws of politics and the machinations of our politicians. An economic crash, it's inevitable. It is inevitable, ladies and gentlemen, unless we act. What does an economic crash look like? Well, history tells us what it looks like, and you can look no further than, than Greece in the last 20 years. Greece was on a slippery slope with high inflation for more than a couple of decades, and then things really got bad right around the time of the recession of 08 and 09. And that's when the people of Greece really got hammered. So what, is, what, is it look, what, what did it look like for the people of Greece? Well, jobs went away. Why? Because businesses closed. They couldn't operate. How do you operate in a situ situation where there's hyperinflation? This inflation that we have now is only the tip of the iceberg. If we have an economic collapse, the inflation is going to be historic. But we also know that there is history to prove how bad inflation can be in the Weimar Republic, which preceded Nazi Germany in the 1930s. The old stories of people going to the wheel, using a wheelbarrow to go to the grocery store, or whatever, a wheelbarrow full of money, so they could pay for just the minuscule amount of stuff at the grocery store. That is real. That can happen in this country if we don't do something. Plummeting income. Your income will go down, even if you're on a fixed income. The relative amount of money. And by the way, we have no guarantee that Social Security can survive a situation like this. Because remember, people have to pay into Social Security in order for this system to run. So if people are not paying into Social Security, then we're going to have to have money from somewhere to fill the gap. Or... People on Social Security, relying on Social Security, are going to have to take a pay cut. So that hurts, and that's part of the plummeting income. 
It could and would affect retirement plans, both public and private. Essential services. You have a heart attack. Essential services, you call the ambulance. You may not get one. Why? Because the government is going to cut back. They're going to cut back everywhere. Local governments, it's an easy target to cut fire and police. Such an easy target. They don't want to cut their fat salaries and their fat jobs down at City Hall. Oh, but we can do without more police and without more ambulances and fire trucks. That's, this is what happened in Greece. And it, it is already happening here to a certain degree. But it can happen on steroids very quickly here. And then the mental toll. You know, I see study after study, and I talked about this back in March and April of 2020 when this COVID debacle was going down, the mental toll that it was taking on people. And now we're ha we've had a little time between that moment when we shut everything down, we told kids not to go to school, we told kids that other people were germy and that they could make them sick or die, kind of a mental toll does that take on especially young people? A lot. A lot. And so now we have study after study saying, hey, guess what? The COVID lockdown hurt the kids. No kidding. No brainer, huh? It took a study for us to figure that out. So the mental toll from an economic collapse You know, we have stories from the Depression about that mental toll, and it's, it's not pretty. Your life will be crushed if we have an economic collapse because of our reckless, profligate spending in Washington, D.C. Remember, $1.3 trillion is the number right now of just the debt service. Just servicing that debt on an annual basis at the current interest rates. That is why the Federal Reserve, the only reason why the Federal Reserve might start lowering rates, is because the government, we the people, we can't afford that. We can't afford $1.3 trillion just to service the debt. That's an insane figure. When you go onto my website, GrahamLedger.com, you'll see a tab there that says Amendments. And I have, listen, I'm not Milton Friedman, but I've pulled together thoughts on how to rein in our out-of-control federal government in terms of spending. And so one of the amendments I'm suggesting is a balanced budget amendment. Now, there are other ways to do this, okay? But I... A balanced budget amendment is a start. Gets the ball rolling, right? Smarter people, better plans, fine with me. But if we had a balanced budget amendment that, in my mind, needs to, by the way, what is the essential job of government, of the federal government, in our Constitution? It's to protect the people. So in this, any budget, in my mind, I think somewhere around 50% of that budget needs to go to the military. That leaves 50% for everything else. So-called necessary automatic spending. You're going to have to 
do more with less in Washington, D.C., if we can get something like this, a balanced budget amendment, that I would tether to GDP, and I would say the debt-to-GDP ratio can never exceed 25%, unless there's a time of officially declared war by the Congress. That's it. So the max debt-to-GDP would be 25%, not this 120%. The goal, of course, would be to drive down that debt so we don't have an economic calamity. So this is a start when you go to GrahamLedger.com. It's just a start. To get the ball rolling, like I said, if somebody has a better plan, I want to hear it. But there are, I think, nine other suggestions of constitution. This would be a constitutional amendment. How do we get that, Graham? Well, we get it through a constitutional amendment. A constitutional amendment that says... Debt to GDP can be no more than 25%. You must have a balanced budget, and 50% of that budget necessarily has to go to the United States military. End of story. And so there are other suggested constitutional amendments in there, like getting rid of the alphabet agencies. This notion that I touched on at, at the top here of banning hydrofluorocarbons or banning gas stoves this is so far beyond the scope of the federal government or any government that it's mind-boggling. And it would be mind-boggling to the framers of the Constitution, who in 1787 had no idea that today we'd be dealing with these agencies that are coming up with laws. When you ban a gas stove, that's a law. These are unelected bureaucrats in government. They do not represent you and me. They don't represent anybody, but they represent a policy from the occupant of the Oval Office. We didn't vote to eliminate gas stoves, did we? We didn't vote to eliminate hydrofluorocarbons, did we? These people in these alphabet agencies are out of control, and we need to eliminate the EPA, in my humble opinion. And again, you go to GrahamLedger.com, amendments, if this fires you up and makes you mad, and it should, when you're on Graham Ledger, also see the volunteer tab. I want to start building an army. And I'm, it's not just me. I'm dealing again with people all over the country, West Coast, East Coast, everywhere in between. We need a volunteer army to execute Article 5. And if you have trepidation about Article 5, I'll answer your question, okay? And I may answer some emails from those of you who are swallowing the John Birch Society nonsense about Article 5. I want to point something out to you. That John Birchers, who are anti-Article 5 for whatever cuckoo reason, are on the same page as the Marxists who are anti-Article 5. And then I have people telling me, oh, George Soros. George Soros is pro-Article 5. Yeah, he probably is. He probably thinks there's a shot at eliminating the Second Amendment. But we have the mechanism built into Article 5 of the United States Constitution that necessarily prevents the elimination of the Second Amendment. And if we ever got to a point in this country where the Second Amendment is eliminated, then I don't think we have a country anymore. So, as they say in New York, don't worry about it. Check out my site, gramledger.com. You'll learn a hell of a lot more. And on, that, on, on my site, by the way, deep in there, there's a link to the Article 5 
library that lists all of the petitions from the various states which show that we have hit the threshold of two-thirds the states to trigger an Article 5. It's all there. It's all right there. And we are working our way toward triggering an Article 5, and we're going to be at the vanguard of history, you and me. So please sign up if you can. I'm Graham Ledger, and remember, evil can only prevail when good is silent. <laughs>